Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to yet another Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me today is Liam. Hello, Liam. Hello, Joe. Ready for our do-do-do-doology conclusion. How are you feeling about our boy Bukasa? It's guys, I, I, I love him in spite of myself. <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> like, how I felt reading the book. Obviously, like, a horrible fucking awful dude who's going to do unspeakable evil, but, like... He's kind of charming, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it, it, he's charming in a cartoonishly insane way, right? Uh, and I do have uh, maybe not a new segment uh, that we're going to introduce into the show. I don't know if I've committed that hard to consider this a new segment. Fuck it. So, at the end of our Namibian genocide series, I played a bit of uh, LBJ ordering a pair of pants, um, where he's just like a gross, disgusting old man. Uh, burping and talking about how he loses and gains 15 pounds of <laughs> talking about his bunghole. Um, and I can't guarantee that I'm going to have an LBG, LBJ clip <laughs> every <LBG>. week. LBG. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I can tell you that LBJ is a treasure trove of very, very funny uh, presidential recordings. And this one, so this one has to have some background to it. Uh he is on the phone with Governor Colony of Te- uh, uh, Connolly of Texas, who is the guy who was in the car when JFK got shot, right? Right. Uh, also, a guy who probably had something to do with funding a coup by neo Nazis uh, once. But oh, cool! What, yeah. what a dick. So uh, the the background of this is LBJ and Governor Connolly were riding in a car, uh, and uh, like they ran somebody off the road. Uh, in Southern Texas and the Washington post wrote a bit about it and they are talking about it. And uh, then LBJ starts talking about how it's totally, how uh, he, it's only funny because they didn't know he was also drunk and driving. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Here's the clip. I see where you are. Did I really? I didn't know it, but the uh, paper's got a big headline. In it. What does it say? I didn't see it. President Johnson was endangered Saturday when a convertible in which he was riding was forced into a narrow shoulder of a farm road to avoid a collision. The incident occurred as Governor Connolly drove Johnson around his Floresville ranch. A Texas highway patrolman speeded up a hill to pass the motorcade and met an oncoming car had to cut sharply in front of the president's car. Connolly slowed and moved on to the shoulder. The incident did not interrupt the tour. Connolly continued to point out sights on each side of the road. <laughs> now, I'm afraid to go to church. Every time I go, they say I'm driving 100 miles an hour. 
And I did get up to about 70 watching it one time, and maybe 80. But uh, I was very cautious and careful of the people I was with. And I did have a half a uh, 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 paper cup full of beer. <laughs> <laughs> I love, yeah. I love, I did have a uh, a paper cup full of beer, like like he's at an SEC tailgate, just like <laughs> yeah, you know, just what's the big fucking deal? Just ripping ass down the road, running people off the road at eighty miles an hour, and drinking traffic. <laughs> America's greatest president, ladies and gentlemen. And I do have to say, like I've been to Floresville, a paper cup full of beer is like what's left of an eight pack that you've already finished, and you're driving home. Like that, that's the kind of place Floresville is. <laughs> so no more trades is my response to that. <laughs> so yeah, the, the, the president was, was drunk and running people off the road. <laughs> All your dreams, kids. All your fucking dreams. I don't know what we're calling this new segment. Um, but if you have anything funny like that, you would, you'd like to send me, please. You can email it to the show or, or send it to me, my DMS. It's, it's great. Um, but we left you last week talking about Jean Badel Bocasa, the now president for life and marshal of the Republic of Central Africa or the Central African Republic. Now, uh, he at, at the end of the last episode, France was uh, was kind of pulling the purse strings when it came to him and his and his bad habit of building palaces for all of his friends, despite the fact people were starving to death. So he had to look elsewhere. Um, uh oh! <laughs> his wandering eye led him directly into the sights of Muammar Gaddafi. Yeah, <laughs> dictator, brother, colonel of the revolution, or whatever other dumbass title he was giving himself at this point of Libya, uh, the Arab Jamahiriya of Libya. I think it was called at the time. Uh, Gaddafi had a tendency of, to throw money at absolutely anybody who fancied themselves a revolutionary in any sense of the word, to include one time a Chicago street game called the El Rukins. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he, he sold anti he attempted to sell anti-aircraft missiles to a street king. Good for him. Yo, dream big. <laughs> Ride never stops, Joe. Uh now, uh, he went through a lot of different phases. Now, if uh, you are uh, a subscriber to the show, you've probably listened to me go more in-depth in this during our episode on the Toyota War. I'm not going to go super far into it. Uh, if you'd like to know more about Gaddafi's very confusing politics, go listen to that. Uh, also, that's a plug. I want your yeah. money. Yes, um, give Joe and by extension me your money. Now, Gaddafi went through a lot of phases. All of them... Um, Strange. Uh, this included pan-Arabism, pan-Islamism, and also pan-Africanism at various points of his life. Um, now, he didn't actually believe in any of these things. What he really was was a pan-Gaddafiist. Uh, he, he didn't really care in a United States of Africa, I think is what he called it once upon a time. Uh, like He didn't believe in a caliphate. He, he, he just wanted himself to be in charge of a rather large chunk of land. <laughs> um, Which we can understand. Yeah, I mean that he's he's only different from other people we've talked about in this show because of how weird he was uh, and his weird obsession with Condoleezza Rice. He had like a crush on her. Uh, he he had a, a scrapbook full of pictures of Condoleezza Rice. Hey. <laughs> now uh, Bokasa caught him smack dab in the middle of his pan-Islamist phase. So Bokasa uh, traveled to Libya in 1976 for the celebration of the anniversary of the coup that brought Gaddafi to power. 
and the two became fast friends. Now, this is probably because Gaddafi had oil money and threw around like crazy. Upon his return to Bangui, Bokassa decided uh, that his government would now be modeled after Libya's. And by that, I mean... Oh, the recipe for success! (laughs) Yes. Um, To be fair, Gaddafi would end up being in charge way longer than Bokassa. That's true. (laughs) Um, Also, Bokassa would never get his ass kicked by a whole bunch of Chideans and pickup trucks. Uh, Now... Bokassa was never one for political theory. He didn't care about capitalism, socialism, or really anything else. Uh, so he wasn't going to like actually read the the book that Gaddafi made a, a talk. I think is the Green Book. Uh, Green book yeah. yeah, he 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 didn't really. He wasn't going to read a whole book. Uh, instead, he decided he was just going to copy its aesthetic. Um, so he would change the names of various things, but keep the exact same people in charge. You know, like a revolutionary. Um, but now they'd be called the Council of the Revolution, which, you know, there was no revolution. It was just Picasso still. <laughs> it, uh, okay. okay. It's a Jefferson Starship uh, uh, airplane situation. Yeah. He also began building a mosque. Uh, and when Gaddafi offered him $1 million in personal checks, he converted to Islam and changed his name. Um now, in right, order, stops. yeah, uh, it, he also tried to get a lot of people in his inner circle to do the same thing for the same amount of money. This is very, very weird um, uh, because while there is a small population of Muslims in the Central African Republic at this time, very small minority, almost everybody's Catholic or some version of animist. Um, so no one really uh, understood what Islam was like when Gaddafi visited the country uh, and he left behind religious agents whose were, were spies, but also their job was to teach the elite of the country how to pray because they had no idea. Uh, and Mukasa seemingly didn't have much of an understanding of what Islam was either. Uh, when the convert- Well, he was really good at building palaces for his friends, I guess. I mean, to be fair, that probably means he'd be very good at building a mosque, right? Um, I mean, it, it seems fine. Uh, now, once the conversion went public, people were pretty pretty shocked uh, that this was a thing. Um, like Islam would be like the fourth largest religion in the country at this point. Uh, though his real goal in doing this is pretty obvious. Gaddafi wanted to invest in the country and also get his hand in that fucking uranium that France also wanted to get their hands on. Right. Uh, and, and Bagazzo just wanted money. He, he didn't care. <laughs> he was like, you want uranium? You want Muslims? Fine. Whatever. whatever. Just give me sure. money. Yeah, I'll be the best goddamn Muslim you've ever seen. While One I'm, palace, please. <laughs> yeah, while I'm married to like 17 people and drinking a fifth of whiskey a day. <laughs> yeah. Crime never stops. Now, what's interesting here is the French also supported Gaddafi, kind of, during this point. Uh, they would also support Chad. Uh, but, you know, things change r- rapidly in the region due to you know the, the Toyota War, specifically. Uh, so big bloodshed. Yeah. Um, the main reason it seems that Bokasa wanted to do this isn't that Bokasa actually wanted to become allies with Gaddafi. He didn't care about Gaddafi, but he knew how the French felt about him. So like, he's like, well, look, I'm cozying up to Gaddafi. You're going to up my allowance, right? Because like, you don't want this to happen. And that's exactly what happened. And then he just kind of stopped being Muslim. Like he just pretended like he didn't do any, um, a large ceremony of him becoming Catholic again. He just stopped doing it one day, and everybody's like, "Oh, I guess, the, I guess the president's over that phase. Over. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a phase, Mom. Um, so I really am. Yeah. 
You and dad just don't understand. I had that argument, I'm sure. <laughs> Except that he's yelling at the, the concept of France's dad. <laughs> uh, now, this is when he started cooking up another idea. See, a couple years ago, when he was visiting Ethiopia, under then the leadership of Emperor uh, Sasile, he uh, was amazed at the reception he had received. Uh, like He got went into the palace and saw everybody fawning over the emperor. He was in awe. Uh, but then, you know, the emperor is deposed, uh, ending his reign in the last empire in Africa. So, like, after that, it was like, well, there's no more emperor. Uh, and Bokasa was always obsessed with outdoing everybody in grandeur, rank, and titles. Uh, it's actually something that his own uh, cousin thought, David Daco, before he overthrew him. Pretty much everybody knew that he was quite literally like a Napoleonic um, stereotype where Napoleon said people will do dumb things if you give them simple baubles. Mm-hmm. But like it was that was his whole personality. So he figured since there were no emperors or empires in Africa anymore, he should create one. After all, none of these bastards around me have empires, right? Sure. All right. I mean, that is a weird flex, uh, especially as uh, a non-military power. You know, normally an empire means that like you are going to take things over by military force. Yeah. Yeah. Or at the very least, you're going to... There's a tradition of imperial power, right? Um, But there was no tradition of that in Central African Republic. Um, So he was going to create one. But he wasn't going to create a specific uh, African traditional king, uh, of which there were some. Uh, Instead, he wanted to recreate the Napoleonic Empire and just drop it in Central Africa. Uh, he brought this little idea up to uh, Jaskard, who I'm sure had the same attitude of like telling your drunk friend that, no, that guy doesn't actually like, want to fight you. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? <laughs> like crowning an, em- uh, crowning an emperor in a country that is so bankrupt, they stopped keeping books. You want to be, be emperor now. Just can you imagine being that his handler just like, what you fucking want? What? You did yeah. what? <laughs> like <laughs> just the uh, just guard has all sorts of problems of his own he's, obviously he's like uh chris brown's agent i feel like oh god yeah or working for blizzard oh topical yeah it, it's topical even though this episode doesn't come out for a couple weeks i don't know why i bother uh, <laughs> oh buddy now nobody thought this is a good idea with the exception of bokasa himself um now, the, here's probably my favorite part of this whole thing. Now, Bocasa's in France at the time. He, he's in Paris uh, hanging out with Giscard because they're like close personal friends because they're both kind of bad people and they love excess. They both drink too much. They, they fuck too much. They eat too much. They make good friends. And it's not like either of them have to pay for it, right? They, they live on, to have a buddy, I suppose. Yeah, both of them live on French taxpayer money. Um, so in order to convince him, Bokasa, who was wearing his fake field marshal uniform that he had made for himself uh, based on Ney, just kind of stood around next to pictures of Napoleon that were around Giscard's house and like tried to like copy his pose. Oh. To, like, see, I look like him. Look, me too, mom. <laughs> Don't I look so much like dad? <laughs> no, son. No. Uh, uh, surprisingly, this did not convince the French president that this guy should be emperor uh, of of Central Africa. Now, he didn't seem that concerned with convincing him. Uh, Giscard was willing to overlook pretty much everything. Uh, so he kind of knew, Bokasa knew that, you know, if I just make myself emperor, 
he'll eventually just accept it. He'll just roll with it, sure. Yeah, at this point, he hasn't stopped me from doing anything. Why the fuck would he stop me now? Now, he was actually more worried uh, about becoming emperor looking legitimate to his country. Wow. Which is absurd to me because, my man, you've already made yourself president for life. Um, Legitimacy is that ship has sailed a long time ago, even though you're landlocked, right? So he decided, even though he is president for life and rules by decree, he simply cannot name himself emperor. That's, That's ridiculous. So he ordered the one political party in the country, which he was in charge of, to declare the establishment of the Central African Empire, meaning, of course, they would have to declare him emperor of that empire, right? Sure. Which is pointless, right? Why go through whatever? I, 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 I kind of like that. I, I like the pointless posturizing. He'd be like, no, no, the party did it. Yeah, I, I simply the I'm will of the people that benefactor. I'm emperor. Yeah. <laughs> I just happen to be the benefactor of everything the government does. Uh, now, the prime minister on paper was technically in charge of the party, but had no political power uh, themselves. Thought this idea was completely insane. Uh, and that would make them a laughing stock of the entire world. Uh, Here's a shit roll it. I mean, spoiler alert. She nailed that one. Uh, oh. But she was fired. Uh, immediately fired uh, for that. And was replaced by someone who didn't think any of those things for fear of their job in life. Now, the real reason for this drive is still quite questionable. Nobody knows why Bocasa did this, except ex- we can just assume self-aggrandizement. He, he knew, as well as everybody else, that uh, Central Africa was broke because he was his, his full-time job wasn't running the country. His full-time job was running around begging people to give him money. Right. But he was more worried about losing power than like than anything else, and like Napoleon had, like when Napoleon was first consul, he thought that it would be very very hard to kill or depose an emperor. Mm. So like, well, you know, what is a first consul? Well, now you're emperor. That's a much loftier title. That's kind of what Bocasa seemed. He was simply a lowly president for life, mm-hmm. marshal of the republic. Mm-hmm. Clearly, so nobody could coup an emperor. You know, well. Um, <laughs> You know, despite the fact that the 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 emperor of Ethiopia was deposed, and that's where yes. he got his idea. <laughs> now he reached out to the governments of Japan, Iran, and Morocco in order to oh, help them. Yeah, they, 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 all, they all were royalty at the time. You had the Shah of Iran, the emperor of Japan, oh, I believe okay, the king of Morocco, okay. in order to help him figure out this entire imperial court thing. And so David Daco, now free from jail, had made an advisor uh, to him <laughs> to France to get them on board. Now, he said if they agreed to fund the transition to empire, he would forget about that whole uh, Islamic revolution thing entirely that he had going out with Gaddafi and he would never speak to Libya again. So France is like, fine, fuck it. Okay. Here's 500 million francs. <laughs> uh, it's going to be more than that. Yeah. Is. <laughs> now, mind you, this is 19, late 1970s. So, you know, with inflation, this is, this is a lot of money. Um. Honestly, the best part of all this happened at the exact same year when he converted to Islam and became buddies with Gaddafi. So, like within like months of him going to Gaddafi, Friendship ended with Gaddafi. Now France <laughs> is my best friend. Yes, like he went to Gaddafi, 
and was like, no, brother of, of the revolution. I would like to join your glorious Jamahiria, but in Central Africa. And he's like, okay, here, have some oil money. And then like four months later, he's like, sorry, sorry, bro. I'm emperor now. Uh, I can't, I can't do that. And then months, just a crazy turnaround. Uh, like, which tells me that this was his whole plan. From the second that he went to talk to Libya, his whole plan was to somehow leverage this in becoming an emperor, which you got to kind of admire the grift there. Yeah, grind never stops, Joe. It's either this was planned from the beginning or he had the most powerful. <laughs> that or he had like the most powerful ruling version of ADD that you've ever seen. Like, because you, you see, like, uh, you know, throughout time, you see uh, weird, crazy, and off the wall dictators, emperors, whatever they want to call themselves. You generally don't see them ping pong around quite this hard. Uh, which leads me to believe that Picasso isn't much of a plans guy. He's he's more of just like no, he, he is wake- not a plans guy. <laughs> yeah, he wakes up in the morning and he's like, "I'm gonna be emperor today." Now, the party came together uh, to uh, it, it came together in 1976 to declare the creation of the Central African Empire and Bokasa the first as its emperor. Yeah. Uh, but and uh, Bokasa the only it turned it turned out. <laughs> oh, that's not gone well. Well, if you look at a map today, or if you pay attention to any of uh, France's current military interventions, there's not a Central African Empire anymore. No. So he got what he wanted, but that still wasn't enough. It would be very easy for him to be like, "Yeah, I'm emperor now. I can just continue like wearing a suit to work as your president for life, and nothing fundamentally changes here." But that was not what Bokasa wanted. Not at fucking all. He didn't want the title. I think what he was actually after was the coronation. And that's what, that's what he demanded. Because it would make Central African... Uh, it would make Central Africa and him the center of the world's attention for just that one day. Which, I, right. which is what he wanted, right? Uh, he believed that this would bring prestige to the country. Possibly investments for him to steal. Um, you know, things like that. And because the entire government only worked on what he wanted them to work on, their entire purpose became to plan the imperial coronation, set for the December of 1977, a year from then. So, at around this time, he had about uh, 12 wives and 60-odd children. <laughs> All right. That's, that's a hell of a procession, man. So, he had to pick which one would become the empress and which one would technically be his heir, right? Like, oh, shit, I got to pick one of you now. Um that's awkward. Can you imagine that at just Sunday family dinner? Yeah, uh, everybody gather around the two mile long fa- uh, family dinner table, and we're gonna we're gonna hash out who's gonna we're be. Gonna, we're, we're gonna fix this. this. Yeah, no one leaves until. <laughs> now his favorite wife, Catherine, became empress. Uh, though there is some uh, back and forth if if she was his favorite wife, but. It seems that his actual favorite wife was a Belgian woman, uh, and he thought it would look bad if uh, a black emperor had a white empress. <laughs> so he picked Catherine. Fair enough. And uh, their four-year-old son, Jean Bedell Jr., became crown prince for reasons I'm sure boil down to just his name. It's Meanwhile, by the uh, by, the wife though. Yeah, I mean, probably not wrong. Though, hilariously enough. Uh, he ended up being related to some European royalty <laughs> through that uh, whatever number of yeah. wife she was. But yeah. Meanwhile, in the capital, people were put to task finding enough rooms for what Bokasa assumed to be around 2,500 guests that he had invited. Um, 
This required him to kick out uh, people from their homes and bulldoze others to make room for what he considered fitting palaces and houses. <laughs> what a dick! Yeah. Mind you, he had never built any of these houses. Yeah. <laughs> like, these are all things that people had slapped together themselves, right? I mean, it's, it's, it was like he was hosting the Olympics. He's like, no, no, get rid of that whole sub- subdivision. We got to put a fucking, we got to put something there that we're never going to use again. statue of me. <laughs> yeah, that rotates to face the sun like the president <laughs> of Turkmenistan. <laughs> I thought that, I, I don't have a reason to do um, an episode of the guy that uh, I think is uh, um, Nurazov, I think his name was, that was president for life of Turkmenistan. But like, honestly, that, that guy might be in competition with Bokasa. He never made himself emperor, but Bokasa never made himself a rotating golden statue that always faced the sun. Like, it's a toss-up. Um, he also put other people to work building houses for other guests. The entire area around the cathedral long allowed to fall into a state of disrepair because, you know, they were broke. No it, was, right. it was totally rebuilt and remodeled. Anything that was considered unsightly, including other people's houses that weren't needed to be knocked down for <laughs> space, were knocked down. Good. Um, and and not, these, not these, good. Don't cancel that. <laughs> Liam is actually a landlord in Bangui. We just don't know about it. That's true. Um, this also would be the first time that uh, Bokasa would attempt to invest in infrastructure, but only for a small ring of roads that went from these houses to his palace and the cathedral. And then that would also be extended to a third area, which we'll talk about in a little bit. These were like the only roads in the country. Oh, fuck. And they were built solely to chaperone people he thought was coming to his coronation. They didn't go anywhere. They just like went in random places around the capital. Uh, uh, Napidaw, the the new capital of uh, um, Myanmar, is a lot like that from what I know about it. Having seen it on Top Gear that or Grant, uh, yeah, Top Gear that one time. It's like eight lanes of traffic, but they're all empty. Yeah, exactly <laughs> like that. Now, uh, French sculptor Olivier Bryce was uh, contracted to retrofit the c- cathedral, which uh, was he also uh, his like second job was to design and build a, a imperial carriage and build what has to be the most ugly and gaudy ass throne you will ever see uh now we don't like we're not a visual medium here but i'll make sure a podcast with slides joe i know of a podcast that does have slides it's never talked about emperor belcasa once all right okay all right (laughs) that tone um but i'll make it the cover for this episode so you can see it but it is it looks like an eagle that so i can't draw right i'm but it looks like an eagle that i would attempt to draw um it but it's made, uh, it was 14 feet across uh, and weighed two tons and took 30 men working full time for a year at a cost of $2.5 million. This it was so fucking tight. <laughs> it was solid bronze and gold plated with like crushed velvet seating. It's amazing. Um, but, you know, we, we already talked about the carriage, right? So. That leads you to believe, oh, he's going to have to have horses, right? He doesn't have any horses. Oh, no. I mean, there's some local, like, draft animals, but they don't look right. He has to have, like, white horses, right? Right. So they're flown in from Belgium. Uh, Now, this is a problem. Uh, These also would, they would also fly in white horses for the Imperial Guard to accompany him. uh, Because, you know, there's going to be cavalry on both sides of the chariot and also horses for the chariot. Small problem. 
the Imperial Guard has never ridden horses before, and they certainly don't know how to ride it like this. So right. a, a troop of African soldiers had to be flown to Normandy to spend the whole next year learning equestrian. <laughs> oh, what an effective use of the taxpayers' time and money. I mean, yeah, I mean if I was French, I'd be very mad. If I was, if I was Central African, uh, this is just more of the same, really. <laughs> like, like, oh, we're building roads. Oh, what are they up to fucking now? Yeah, we are like, what is fucking Bokasa doing now? Why is he building one road that goes from his front door to his palace? God damn it. Where did all this goddamn horse shit come from? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, While all of this is going on, Bokasa was blind drunk. uh, And according to some reports, he was drinking four fifths of scotch per day. Oh, that's that. That's bad. Yeah, that is a lot of booze. I mean, to be fair, Bokasa is a big guy. Uh, I, I mean, I fight him. I mean, he's dead. So I got your, I got, I got my money on you. Good job. Just gonna roll up and start punching his corpse. <laughs> Celebrity death match. One of them is already dead. Um, <laughs> and from like my understanding, this is like thousands of dollars of uh, of scotch because he was drinking very, very good scotch. Sure. Uh, what well, of course he was. he was right. For, so for the ceremony, everyone in the imperial government would have to be in full costume for the day meaning they would all have to be tailor-made. And these are all imperial costumes straight out of uh, like Napoleon's coronation. That's Everything was based on Napoleon's coronation to include what Bocasa wore. It was a, 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 as close to a replica as it could be to what Napoleon was wearing. Now, who else could have done this other than the same tailor that made Napoleon's uniforms 200 years before? Uh, hundreds would have to be made, dozens of which were just for Bocasa, even though he only wore two. <laughs> this is amazing. I, like I said, I, I'm rooting for him in spite of myself. I'm like, I'm aware he's like a horrifically narcissistic dictator, letting his people starve at the like price of his own hubris. But like, yeah, you know, shit happens to people. Yeah, uh, you know, he's uh, Icarus, except he flew too close to the sun and his golden throne melted. Um. Uh, yeah. will do that to you. <laughs> yeah, they they also like changed the flag with like a eagle holding a sun too, so that that works. Um, now these costumes including th- included thousands of pearls and gems uh, and various different kinds of diamonds. All of them would be like inlaid in into the clothing as well as jewelry, which we haven't quite got to yet. Uh, his clothes alone, just Bocasas, would cost a million dollars. Uh, the Empress's clothes, which included 200,000 sequins made out of precious gems, would cost almost 200,000. Ne- then right. a team That's of a French jewelry. but all right. You know, like, I, ass- I assumed more on the clothes department. I mean, with uh, inflation, it's probably yeah, closer to like five or six million. Um, but the real sweet spot comes with his imperial jewelry. Uh, a team of French jewelers went to work on the imperial crown and scepter. It was all gold covered in jewels and probably weighed so much it needed to include neck support. By the time the jewelers were done, it included an 80 carat diamond, which according to Google would now be worth around $10 million. Um, but he got it on a sweet discount of only $5 million. Though when you count that into inflation, that is nearly $20 million today. Oh, just for his crown. Yeah. Then came the food. Uh, there was 240 tons of food and drink ordered for the coronation. Granted, he never bothered to do any of this for like the population of his capital before or after yeah, this. Yeah, I was going to say, weren't they starving to death like two weeks ago? And Who was invited to this coronation? Is like everyone in the country? 
Oh, no, no, no. We'll oh. get to the guest list. It's pretty much the only Central Africans invited are people in the Imperial Guard or people directly related to him. Um, now, because he's crowning himself emperor of a destitute nation with no food, all of this had to be flown in, which also included 40,000 bottles of wine, 24,000 bottles of champagne, and 10,000 bottles of Shivas Regal whiskey. Wow. <laughs> like... Even if everyone showed up on his guest list, and we'll talk a little bit more about the later on, this would be enough to kill them all with alcohol poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> Several times over, actually. <laughs> now, he, because he was never able to build a functioning transport or road system, he, he would have to do that, as well as to provide transport for all of his guests, which he assumed would be, remember, 2,500 people is who he invited, on top of the, the small circle of people he actually considered as part of his imperial circle in the country. So he bought every single person that would be coming a brand new Mercedes-Benz. Nice. Uh, <laughs> now, the sticker price for those uh, was not given in the book, but they're brand new. it's a brand new luxury car. Uh, oh. it, wasn't, it wasn't like the busted ass Mercedes that you can get from the 80 or from like the late seventies or eighties from a used car dealership. My favorite kind. Yeah. as the only kind I've ever driven. Uh, but remember central African Republic landlocked, right? How the fuck do you get a car there? You can't Drive just fly. It. You can't just fly a car from, uh, I, I, I think he bumped directly from Germany to the central African Republic. Did he hire some guys to drive it? Basically do the Dakar by themselves. That would be rad, but no. Uh, oh. Something even dumber, because that would actually probably be cheaper. Uh, he's, they were sent to Cameroon via ship and then flown to Bangui for the cost of $5,000 per car just for transport. There's 2,500 cars. <laughs> oh, okay. All he, right. bought, he bought more cars right then than there may have been in the entire country at that point. <laughs> Nobody's entirely sure, but like... Uh, uh, the book uh, Dark Ages says it's like there's a very good chance that is the case since most people outside the capital, very agrarian existence, living hand to mouth. Um, right. Their, sure. their transportation is through several legs, right? They don't have cars. Um, several legs. <laughs> that's what you said. And that is what I said. You can use that. It's fine. Um, I think I stole that from like, it was like a shitty old dad joke. I don't remember. Now, how is he going to pay for all of this? I've already pointed out that the French is covering a lot of it, but not all of it, right? Even they have their limits when it comes to crowning imaginary emperors. <laughs> that meant Bokasa had to wring out wealth from his already desperately poor people to help him uh, pay for his emperor cosplay for the day, right? Sure. So he reached out to the private sector. Uh, generally, those the only private sector that really existed uh, in uh, Central Africa at the time was those who traded uh, coffee, diamonds, and cotton. So, and these these businesses have already been ringed pretty bare already. Like whenever he needed money before he went to the French, he would just go demand like pretty much tribute. Like they already have to pay taxes, but he would just show up and he's like, "Give me all your money." <laughs> like he's get like, it was like unarmed robbery. Um, so he went to those guys. He's like, you need to fucking empty your pockets. Now, the threat was, obviously, he could do Bokasa stuff and beat them to death with his uh, cane of justice. But he, more than that, he said that he, they just would not get their uh, business licenses renewed next year if they didn't. So you will either give me everything that your company is worth or you will not be able to do business next year in this country. Now, a lot of people gave up everything because they're fearful of Bokasa. But the Diamond Company actually pulled one over on him that was pretty good. 
mostly because the diamond company was already fucking broke. Uh, they didn't have anything left to give. Uh, but they did have some stones in the back, which Bocasa was also willing to take because, of course, he was. They're diamonds. Right. And when he asked for a large diamond to be used in the ceremony, they knew if they gave him anything of, of worth, which they didn't have a diamond the size that he wanted anyway. But if they gave him the biggest diamond he had, or they had, they would simply not have any materials to keep their business afloat should Bocasa fuck off and let them do business. Right. But he, the, the manager knew that Bocasa didn't know anything about diamonds. Like this guy's just like, yeah, it's a big old rock. Thanks. Uh, sure. So he took a large industrial diamond, you know, like the cheap ones that nobody wants. They yeah. break them down into tools poly- uh, and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, he didn't break it down. Instead, he ordered it to be polished up and carved into the shape of Africa. Um, and when he presented it to Bocasa, he told him it was worth half a million dollars. In reality, it was worth less than 100. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked uh, like that next like during coronation he wore it on his hand and whenever journalists asked him about it he would tell him oh yeah it's worth a million dollars in reality it's like shitty drill diamonds now uh, it, it was about now after all the money had been spent that Bocasa decided he didn't want to get crowned in the cathedral uh, well, okay dude <laughs> re- remember it's been they've been working on this shit for months at this point Right. You see, he thought so many people around the world were going to show up to watch him get crowned emperor. There would simply not be enough room in this cathedral, right? Because of course not. So he moved it to a local basketball court, which had been built by the Yugoslav government. Um, <laughs> I'm just picturing like a queen's ass, like rec center basketball court. <laughs> we're going to go get married at that at the Y. Uh yeah, it was built by the Yugoslav government from when uh, back when he wanted to play communist for like a week. And so at this point, he uh, uh, and to be fair, like if you look at the pictures and video of this, which there is video of this, you won't be able to tell it's a basketball court. They did a really good job covering everything up with big majestic banners and shit. But that, that, that is a, a Yugoslav basketball court. If I ever get crowned emperor of the United States. I am going to go get crowned at the Y or like the local community center. Yeah. Just be like, all right, figure this capacity, live it out. <laughs> Shoot he, the fire marshal if you have to. I don't care. Go get my cane of justice. It's just a wrench. <laughs> now, he planned this coronation to a T. He wanted it to look exactly like Napoleon's, which, I mean, there's painting of and stuff, which is what he's going off of which meant that he wanted the Pope to show up and crown him himself, which had been what happened with Napoleon. Right. Besides the fact that he had just converted and reconverted back from several different religions in the last couple of months, the local leader of the church had explained to him that times had changed and the church doesn't do the whole crowning of emperors thing anymore. I assumed he also left out the part where the Pope has no fucking idea who he is. Uh, so... Let's get to the guest list. This is probably the part everybody's interested in. He invited every single head of state in the world. Uh, <laughs> okay. To, All right. Good start. This included several like state level governors of the, of like individual states of the United States. Uh, like he invited all 50 governors and the president. <laughs> would you go? I would have gone. Fuck it. Like how often do I get to go to a coronation by Napoleon's risen ghost or whatever. <laughs> Uh, he also included every single king and almost every single bit of nobility and emperor still left alive, which included, uh, I think the only emperor alive at this point is Hirohito. Um, 
Every single one of them turned him down. Oh, that's just rude. <laughs> the only aristocrat who showed up was a, a minor prince of Liechtenstein named Prince Emmanuel. And he only attended because he was very distantly related to one of Bokasa's wives. Ah. <laughs> uh, that, that's it. Every other, even African head of state, stayed away. Uh, this included Idi Amin and Mubutu Sesi Seko. They were like, nope, too much. If when Idi Amin has said you've gone too far, you need to reevaluate your life. Yeah. And of course, well, Gaddafi she- wasn't going to show up because he'd already fucking pissed him off more than yeah, once. He got his feelings hurt. Yeah. Yeah. We're not friends anymore. Don't call. Poor Mumar. <laughs> Mumar just, just sitting in Tripoli, like, feel like shit. Just want him back. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, most of these places um, that did. Uh, show up. So n- not every country sent a representative, but the ones that did, what there were very minor people uh, that they sent. It. Like even the French president Giscard, who made this whole thing possible, did not attend. Dick Mo- move. Most Honestly. people didn't even send like a vice president or like it was it was some random ministerial post. Like oh, we sent the minister of fucking transportation or commerce or whatever. Right. Uh, France set the Minister of Cooperation, uh, which had a good point, admittedly. When people asked him why he was going and giving Bokasa legitimacy, he said it was incredibly racist that nobody asked the same thing about going to the Queen of England's Jubilee, which you've accidentally come on to a good point here that royalty is bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Congrats, I guess. Yeah. By, by defending your own... Uh, investments in Bokasa. I wasn't going to say Central Afrique, but they didn't give Central Afrique any fucking money. They give it to Bokasa. Uh, by defending your supporting of Bokasa, you did a very good job explaining why uh, uh, royalty is bad and sh- they should all go. Uh, which is why one of my favorite things is like um, one of uh, uh, Napoleon's marshals who then go on uh, to become king of Sweden via marriage had a tattoo that said death to kings on it. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. I think it was right in the middle of his chest. So like whenever he, after he was made, you know, king of Sweden, he's like, oh, I can't take off my shirt. Don't ask why. But uh, anyway, Bokasa invited uh, 2,500 people and 600 showed up. Uh, none of those people were people he actually invited. Uh, those were all Some like dudes. secondary and tertiary people that the people he invited actually sent. Of those, 100 were journalists. Uh, assuming they were like us and have a morbid curiosity about this kind of thing. And, like, and before then, mind you, there's, there's a huge part of the book about how... Um, uh, Bocasa security apparatus just grossly abused uh, journalists, and they would actually charge journalists four hundred dollars a day to come to Central African report. So nobody ever went there, right? But, uh, but for this point, they they waived the 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 hundreds of dollars a day so they could come and talk about his coronation. The on the day of the event, December nineteen seventy seven. The hundreds, not thousands of guests were ferried into the Yugoslav basketball court to watch the coronation of Bokasa the first. <laughs> and immediately the air conditioner broke. Nice. Uh, <laughs> soldiers, bands, and guests, all dressed in traditional imperial French clo- clothing as temperatures rose to the level that you assumed that they would get in the middle of the day in Central Africa. 
Soldiers dressed to the nines in Napoleonic uniforms, mostly made out of wool, began to pass out. Yeah, fair enough. I would tell. Yeah. The emperor was supposed to show up at 9 a.m., but he didn't. Instead, he drank all night and woke up with a hangover. And he got there an hour late. (laughs) That's actually not too bad. Uh, When he was on his way there, he was in the imperial carriage. Now, the guy who designed the imperial carriage, the same guy who designed the throne, didn't account for the fact that this is going to be happening in this middle of Africa where December is not cold. And it was not equipped with an air conditioner, which meant as soon as he, his son, and his wife packed into the unair conditioned carriage with no opening windows, they began to suffer from heat stroke. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Mind you, he is wearing a fur cape. Uh, he is, oh, wow. He is decked the fuck out. Uh, so they had to pull the carriage over, bring one of the... Fur capes are not well known for being lightweight. No. heat moisture wicking. <laughs> Don't worry, this is my moisture-wicking fur cape. Uh, So they had to pull the carriage over, bring a car up to them, bring them close enough, but not so close that the people at the the basketball court could see them, and then switch, because the car had an air conditioner, they'd switch back into the carriage as it pulled into the basketball court. After the Imperial family finally showed up, the entire coronation lasted an hour. Now, the total cost for this was $22 million, but it was... Is actually quite worse than that. Adjusted for inflation, this is closer to $100 million. And it, cost, and it cost the entire French aid package for the month of December, as well as on top of an unknown amount of money Bocas had stripped from the country for his own purposes. And here's the crazy part. No one can actually figure out how much everything costs. The reason for this is because when the French asked to look at the country's finances prior to giving them aid, they discovered that nobody was keeping track of the national budget, meaning nobody had any idea what the actual Central African Republic's GDP was because it wasn't calculated. Cool. Okay. <laughs> like just, just lie to the World Bank. What do you care? Bokasa was just spending it like it was his personal bank account. And the only person that was trying to balance that sheet at the end of the day was, remember, Bonza, who got shot over it. Right. So some estimates say the coronation cost a quarter of the national GDP. But the French Minister of Cooperation later said there's a good chance that it actually cost the entire GDP. And certainly more money, like liquid cash, than the, than the country had on hand. Meaning that right. for one whole hour, he spent... An entire nation's gross domestic product on making himself emperor. Don't let your dreams be dreams, Joe. I mean, just incredible stuff. Yeah. I, I Ego, man. I don't know if there's a case like this from history that could be possibly worse than this. Like, I cannot think of one. If there is, like, I need to find it. I've never heard of anybody sinking the entire GDP in an hour. Um Now, if Bokasa was hoping his coronation would bring peace, stability, and legitimacy to his rule, like he always talked about, he was fantastically wrong. Every bit of press that came out about his coronation was mercilessly roasting him, with every African outlet being embarrassed not only for themselves, but for the entire continent. One newspaper in Zambia pointed out that Bokasa had specifically helped the cause of apartheid Rhodesia in South Africa by making the entire race look bad. Uh, now, I do, I do need to like explain that a bit for people uh, unfamiliar with that concept. Uh, Rhodesia in South Africa generally existed by saying that, yes, we think black people should be in charge. They're just not ready yet. Right. Like that was one of the excuses that they used. Mm-hmm. And 
after this happened, they'd be like, see, look what happens when Africans are in charge. They do this. So, like, Zambia is like, look what you fucking did, Bokasa. <laughs> right. Like, you made the apartheid assholes look like they were right. Uh, so, yeah, it was, I've never seen anything quite like that before. That's merciless. <laughs> yeah. Becoming an empire also didn't help his ability to govern or make his country any, uh, make any more sense. First, he moved out of the capital, 80 miles away, and established his own imperial cabinet, separate from the prime minister's cabinet. Both had powers to pass laws, which would and could be conflicting. On top of that, Bokasa could still rule by decree if he felt like it. It quickly became apparent where the real power was, and it was still on Bokasa, while his prime minister's job was to run around Europe and continue to ask for money so he could spend on stupid shit. Right. At this point, Bokasa had pissed off all of Europe, who are rapidly closing the door on him. One of the straws that broke the camel's back, it seems, is when the European economic community gave him 60 million francs for a railroad project, which he then spent on his own house. Did it at least have like a model train? I don't think so. Oh, lame. I know, right? Like, I, I swear, Bocas is the only place on Earth that, like, or, or Bocas is the only person on Earth to be so hilariously corrupt that he said that he would become a communist if someone built him a train, and they, even the communists were like, no. <laughs> like, we know where this is going. Fuck off. Now, the job of getting Bocasa funding so he could continue running his little fiefdom here was so stressful that the prime minister eventually keeled over from a heart attack within a year of taking the job. <laughs> France still kept Bokassa afloat, however, and he funneled that money into a presidential guard, and then, which then switched into an imperial guard, armed and trained by an Israeli general. Uh, cool. Now, that might sound impressive, but it was actually a general fired due to fucking up during the Yom Kippur War, but he's oh. still a general. Eh, still counts. Meanwhile, the imperial army ceased to function, having no guns or ammo due to Bokasa's fear of it could be used for an uprising or a coup against him. And he paid his guard massive salaries to retain their loyalty. Meanwhile, Prince George, one of Bokasa's sons, I believe is his oldest son, who and had been forced into exile in France, hardly survived. Uh, he didn't have a work visa because they weren't considered French citizens, and his dad didn't send him any money. And he was forced to rely on handouts from other expats. Oh, George said that uh, his emperor dad would fail miserably uh, and the repression would only get worse. Going so far as saying his dad wouldn't last more than three years on the throne, which would end up becoming prophetic. Um, yeah. Now, if you were to pick all of the various stressors here that eventually lead to the downfall of Bokasa, whether it be France being sick of his shit or the Imperial Guard, or the actual Prime Minister, or Chad, or Libya, any of these places. What do you think would actually bring him down? Let me get a curveball and say one of his wives. Ooh, that'd be good. But would you have guessed literal school children? What? Yeah. <laughs> no, not college students, mind you, but middle and high school kids, joined by elementary school kids. So this requires a bit of explanation. For the vast majority of people in the empire at this time, school simply did not exist. Bokasa didn't trust school, thinking it was, uh, it was going to impart harmful ideas onto kids. You know, like maybe food is good and the emperor has too many palaces. <laughs> but he did open a few schools, mostly for the elite of the country. People who worked in the civil service, the guard, or you know, maybe the army at certain ranks. You can put their, your kids in those schools. He only did this because before... They would send their kids abroad, mostly to France, to go to school where they'd pick up 
harmful ideas from French schools. Like maybe the head of state shouldn't beat people to death with a stick when he's bored. Food is uh, good. Yeah. So he believes he kept all those people in house. He could control them in their education, but he couldn't. Throughout the early 1970s, these schools went on strike due to terrible conditions. Literal elementary school strikes. These were not led by teachers. These were students. That's fucking rad as hell. (laughs) Okasa considered these acts of rebellion, deploying the military to put them down, beating, torturing, and killing literal school children for demanding books and shit. Oh my god. Okay. At another point, students at the University of what else? Bocasa <laughs> demanded their food stipends, something that was promised to them by the school. To stop them, they were simply drafted into the army for an undefined term so they couldn't go to college anymore. Now, as Bocasa got more and more extreme and began arresting teachers for bringing up any political idea in the classroom that wasn't, damn, isn't Bocasa great, <laughs> students once again rose up to defend their teachers. In most of these cases, entire schools were closed and students were forbidden from attending any other place of education for the rest of their lives. This all came to a head in 1977. The imperial schools modeled after the French one. And at, I guess at a high school level, you have to take a very important test. Um, and it, it helps with placement for universities. Yep. Stuff like that. Um, on this particular year, for whatever reason, I'm sure has nothing to do with their teachers randomly being fired and arrested. The student body didn't do so good on the test. They 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 scored pretty badly, um, you know, because they, their schools were lacking simple things like teachers and books. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Bocasa looked at all of these problems and decided that the only reason why the students would fail in such a matter is because they have a lack of fucking discipline, Liam. Oh, no. Oh, so, God, you sound like my middle school gym teacher, Joe. So he got on a plane and took a trip to China, where he got an idea after seeing a whole bunch of Chinese kids march around and step together. And other, other than being really creeped out by that, he decided that all these kids are dressed the same. We should do school uniforms. That was what he gleaned from that? That is what he gleaned from that. Is the, these him. kids need uniforms. I, you know what? At some point, you got to appreciate this guy. Now, these uniforms, which include a pen with his face on it, like something out of North Korea, could only be manufactured by a single company and sold in a very specific storefront. Of course, that manufacturer was owned by him, and the real t- retail st- store was owned by his wife, Empress Catherine. Oh, so That's convenient. Yeah. Nobody without the uniforms would be allowed to attend school. And while this was happening, the empire reached a critical mass of hyperinflation and being so broke that not even French money could bail them out anymore. The government simply stopped paying its civil service employees, which, remember, were the really the only employees not in the presidential guard that had children that would be buying these uniforms. He never right. stopped paying the president or the imperial guard. So, uh, while while this is happening, also meat and sugar prices and the price of like simple wheat had tripled in a year. And there, even if you had enough money, there wasn't enough food to go around. So, in the middle of all of this, he wanted these people to buy a school uniform that would cost the equivalent of around twenty dollars. In a country where a normal person made $200 a year. Wow. That's cool. All right. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. And remember, and, and that money would go directly to him. Dude, this is genius. Yeah. Almost nobody bought the school uniforms because they couldn't, and the schools refused to admit them. So student leaders took to the street and strike. The crowd grew to thousands, and when cops and soldiers were dispatched to beat them into submission, they did not go away. In many cases, the cops and soldiers got beaten by school children. <laughs> So uh, soon, college students joined the protests. Now, looking at the date, the Shah of Iran had recently been deposed, and the students were chanting, quote, after the Shah Bokasa and looted stores owned by his family. Ooh. 
Oh, that's tasty. <laughs> like that, that went from like we we just want to go to school. Like you know what? Fuck this guy. We're sick of this. I guess. Oh, okay. It's rebellion. We're we're rebelling now. These kids that were between the ages of eight and eighteen were joined by pissed off workers and union officials who began to form barricades out of cars in an armed wildcat strike, chasing off cops who were sent Fuck to disperse yeah, them. Yeah, dude. All right. Wait, Labor wait. is entitled to all it creates. No, end the story here. This is bad. <laughs> there's always there's always a time. At one point, soldiers, untrained and given live ammo for the very first time, panicked and ran from the students. And these, remember, some of them are eight years old, nearly captured their commanding general. <laughs> that is, wow, that is, that's, that is a not an orderly retreat. <laughs> like, fucking soldiers armed with AKs being chased off by, like, Tommy Pickles from the Rugrats. <laughs> a baby's gotta do what a baby's gotta do <laughs> as you're, like, executing a general. <laughs> Eventually, Bokasa declared martial law and sent to the Imperial Guard. Armed with Israeli training and Soviet weapons, including tanks, they slaughtered hundreds in the street. The survivors were thrown in prison where the emperor himself beat several of them to death with his justice stick while chugging whiskey that cost more per bottle than anybody in the room made in their lifetimes. There are also several accounts of him eating his victims' brains after smashing open their skulls. Big move. Yeah. This... Finally, ended up being the straw that broke the camel's back in the international community. Everybody finally turned against him, to include France. It turned out that sometimes eating school children turns you into an international pariah. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, I think that's what finally got Idi Amin as well. <laughs> you imagine? Can you believe this guy as you're like halfway through some poor eight-year-old's brain? Sir, you have gone too far. Slaughter and cra- and like. Dooming your nation to destitution by crowning yourself emperor is one thing, but eating people is another. I mean, yes, also, but like, you, come on now, it shouldn't have taken all this. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it's fine. They got there eventually. Now, Points for that, right? It's like it's like voting Democrat. Yeah, <laughs> you, gotta, you really got to both sides this cannibalism thing. <laughs> like, how are we going to get the swing voters if we don't eat school children? Uh, now, Rand Paul can eat six school children a day. I mean, to be fair, he probably does. It's how he <laughs> look. Look at that man; he eats babies. That dude eats babies. Um, Don't edit that out, mate. You keep that in there. That's not libel. Allegedly, allegedly he eats, eats children. Babies. Yes. Um, now France is going to cut off aid completely, but in order for <laughs> yeah, there's a but there. The, everybody was waiting for the end of an investigation being carried out into the incident by Rwanda that uh, would almost certainly find him guilty when good old David Daco called up the French embassy and said he had an idea. I want to be president again. Okay. But France knew the Imperial Guard was loyal, like he had bought their loyalty, and most people didn't like David Daco. He couldn't just walk in and take power. They'd have to flex their own military might onto the empire. But that was considered too much. It would be hugely expensive. And they were worried that like, if Bokasa was there, the guard would stand strong. They had decent training and weapons. And they mm-hmm. could inflict casualties on the French. That would look bad. Probably not prepared to lose anyone to this, to this thing. Yeah, it, it doesn't really seem up there. Uh, also, there is a election coming up. And Giscard knew that you know, if a couple dozen Frenchmen got owned by the Imperial Guard, it would look bad. And he'd right. probably lose. So he decided his plan would have to wait for Bokasa to leave the country. 
figuring that the Imperial Guard would be much less likely to fight if their charge was gone, you know? Sure. But that didn't take long. Bokasa left the country quite often. And with French money gone, he had no choice but to run back to where else? Libya. Yeah. <laughs> now, Momar, honey. He called Gaddafi back up and then flew off to Libya to meet with him. The next day, the French began Operation Barracuda. Ooh. Yeah, I really should have caught, uh, caught like a Barracuda clip there, but I did not. Um, around 150 French paratroopers loaded into a plane and landed at the Bangui airport, where they calmly got off and took it over from the shocked guards without, without firing a single shot at them. Fair enough. Around 150 more French landed and fanned out over the capital. The Imperial Army threw their weapons down very confused and decided they didn't want to fight the French. Mostly also because, again, remember, they barely had ammo or guns. They didn't even have training. At this point, David Daco was so terrified that like, he refused to leave. Uh, he was still uh, like packed away, I believe, across, just across the border in, in southern Chad. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to go until you capture Bokasa. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. So like the French kind of had to like, get on the fucking plane, David. <laughs> we are too far for you to fuck this up for us right now. Um, now, the feared Imperial Guard stood at their post for a few hours, facing off with French paratroopers. And then finally, out of nowhere, they ran off back to their villages, leaving their uniforms and weapons scattered behind them. The Central African Republic turned empire had fallen without a single shot being fired oh well that'll help his election chances at least <laughs> when bokasa heard about this a few a few hours later he rushed in to talk to Gaddafi, only to find out that he had not even shown up in benghazi where they were supposed to be meeting he had ghosted you know who him. else didn't show up in benghazi <laughs> hillary clinton charlie daniels oh benghazi ain't going away you know who else ain't going away bokasa uh you know, there's actually a, a pretty decent um, conspiracy theory here is that the French called Gaddafi and was like, invite him to Libya. That makes, and, I mean, that makes sense. Or, and and or Gaddafi was like, okay. Right. Because right. he probably wanted to be rid of the guy too. <laughs> yeah, at this point, he, he's pretty sick of him too. Um, and there's no evidence of that, but it seems likely. That like would make a ton of I mean, why else would really, he fucking ghost him? Right, right. Yeah, it's opined in the book that's a very real possibility. Uh, I would absolutely buy into oh, that. Oh, I bet on that, yeah. Now, Bokasa uh, kind of moved temporarily into his own plane that was at the airport in Libya because he was officially nationless. Right. Uh, he discovered he did not qualify for French citizenship under the law and returning to Bangui would have been suicide. In fact, he would eventually be uh, tried in absentia and uh, sentenced to death. So like, he's like, whoop, can't go there. Now, now, one French historian who I will uh, note has honestly the best one-liner in the entire podcast to include either one of us said, it was only right to to give him to the English and let them banish him to St. Helena. (laughs) (laughs) I hope somebody appreciated the irony of that. Yeah, I mean, like, this is the sense of humor historians have, and I am here for it. Like, clearly, we need to... Honestly, he probably would have been excited about that, right? Yeah, you know. No, I get to go where dad went. <laughs> uh, now, there was, uh, he had like an aide with him that stayed remotely loyal for some time. And he was making calls and um, trying to figure out where exactly he could go. Who would take uh, uh, our stray poor baby Picasso, right? Right. Um, 
Gaddafi absolutely refused to take him, noting that he was already taking care of Idi Amin. Is <laughs> <laughs> that how he said it too? Yeah, he pointed out that he's like, I'm already taking care of this deposed dictator. Someone else has to take this one. And uh, Zaire refused as well, uh, which is funny because, again, Mobutu Sese Seko going like, no, I don't want nothing to do with that guy. <laughs> I just love the idea of, of uh, Gaddafi being like, no, no, you take him. No. <laughs> Who wants to take his uh, his his rights for the weekend? Um now, these were like Bokasa's two fallback countries. He first wanted to go to France, and France is like, you're, you're not a citizen. Um, eventually, he settled for the Ivory Coast, who took them in, putting him up in a free house in the suburbs. Now, uh, eventually, France did cave and allow him to move to France uh, and receive a pension for his military service, this, which was not that much money, mind you. Uh, right. Remember, his pension would have been dog shit. <laughs> like a couple hundred francs a month, maybe. Uh, and using that, he uh, he rented out a house from, I wish I had a drum roll for this, the National Front. You're joking. No. <laughs> he rented a house from Marine, Marine Le Pen's dad. <laughs> wow. Who was given to him at massive discount because he did not have any money. Okay. What? What? <laughs> that has to be the only time the National Front ever liked a black guy. Uh, my mind truly is blown, like genuinely. And I, and I wish I had a better explanation for this, but in the book, it literally is just like, now he lived in a house that was rented to him personally by uh, the National Front and then just moves on. I'm like, come on, man, you're leaving out a lot of details that's, here. That's, no, I need a, a fucking rundown of that. <laughs> was it like a newspaper ad? Like, do we know? <sighs> no, uh, I, I, I got nothing, man. I, I assume the, the French neo-Nazis were, were fine with... Uh, Someone who really liked Napoleon. Sure. I, uh, <laughs> I don't even, I truly don't even have a joke. Uh, uh, yeah. Of, of two hours or so of podcast full of weird shit. That might be the weirdest. That's, that's the weirdest, at least for me. He stayed there for seven years uh, where he spent his full time sending letters to the French government, bitching about not getting enough money from the French government. Something he, he you know, he's, done as a part-time job now he constantly complained his pension wasn't enough um but remember he retired technically or whatever got out of the uh french military as, as, as a as a captain so his pension wasn't very high he was like no no no, i want the emperor pension please what do you what do you mean you we don't recognize this address <laughs> i am remember emperor guys now you keep writing um uh emperor bocasa the first we're actually looking for a Captain Bokasa, like that's me. Fuck. Imagine like the emperor going down to the VA. That's like the, the basically <laughs> just wearing all of his fur capes and jewelry and crowns and shit. And Notably just, like, not heat wicking. <laughs> just More sitting sure. in, the, in the like the VA waiting room in like Pittsburgh. <laughs> Captain Bokasa, uh, that's me. Now, he did try to make some money at one point by writing memoirs, but they were confiscated and destroyed by the French government because he kept talking about that time that him and the French president ran a train on a woman. Um, yeah. Oh, that's that's what they fought the French Revolution over, so they couldn't <laughs> say that in a book? I, I'm stupid. actually surprised it was legal for the government to do that. Maybe it's because he was there in some special permit. I don't know. But... In 1986, he returned from exile, landing triumphantly back at the Bangui airport and was arrested immediately upon arrival. Um, oh, okay. 
he he was not greeted by cheering crowds of, of supporters. I feel oh. He was charged uh, with murder, treason, cannibalism, illegal use of property, assault and battery, and embezzlement. Uh, now, throughout the trial, he just blamed everything on everybody else around him other than himself, uh, saying that, like, you know, as emperor, it was the prime minister's job to do all this. And like, well, you were president for eight years before then. Can we talk about that? It was like, no, uh, we can't actually. Moving on. You're focusing on the past. He was found guilty of everything. Talk about our future, baby, like the Bobar Gaddafi. (laughs) (laughs) I'm called Gaddafi again. Fuck this. Uh, He was found guilty of all charges but the cannibalism, which, uh, strangely enough, was the most minor of the charges, as was only a misdemeanor. (laughs) I got nothing good to say to that. (laughs) He he escaped the misdemeanor charge of cannibalism. He was sentenced to death, but it was eventually overturned in 1988, uh, with the sentence being reduced to life in prison. And then um, he got uh, he got it reduced to 20 years. So he he kind of went the same career path as a lot of Nazis there at the end. Like, oh, no, I got death. Oh, no, I have life. Ah, see you in five years, motherfucker. <laughs> Admittedly, 20 years in a South African prison or a Central African prison. I'll age a man. Sounds pretty bad. Yeah, and it definitely seems like he absolutely lost his fucking mind in prison. <laughs> he was released in a general amnesty in 1993 and quickly began to uh, just show just how rapidly his, his mental capacity had declined. He began to claim himself as the 13th Apostle of Christ and that he hung out in secret with the Pope all the time. Yeah, he did the coronation. Or he was gonna. He just got sidetracked. Three years later, he finally keeled over and died of a heart attack at the age of 75. Wow, he made it longer than I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, th- unfortunately, time is nothing if not a fucking bastard. We need to fast forward to 2010 for our last bit. And a guy named Francois Bozais. Uh, so, funny story about Francois. He was the president at this point. Uh, and he had also was a general in Bocasa's Imperial Guard. Now, if you remember back uh, when I said that Bocasa once just promoted a guy to general from from uh private because he slapped a french guy yeah that's him oh yeah he is a he is a bocasa loyalist to this day so he i mean he also is the guy who commanded the slaughter of school children as a general in the bocasa's imperial guard okay he was that's, president that, oh good great uh he Damn. also seized power in a different coup uh and then lost power in a different coup things aren't going great in south uh, in central africa uh, so I, I imagine they rarely do. Yeah, uh, currently torn apart by a civil war. Uh, now, anyway, Francois issued a decree rehabilitating Bocasa and calling him, quote, a son of the nation recognized all by a great builder. Mm. <sighs> yep. I, I dispute that. I would I would dispute that hard. Real, real hard. Son of the nation. <laughs> That's right. He's son of the nation, man. So, Liam, we do a little thing on the show called Questions from the Legion. That's I know how it works, Joe. <laughs> I am describing it for our <laughs> listeners, yeah, you motherfucker. Fair. That's fair. Okay. Okay. Call it out. Nobody needs to get hurt. Put the gun um, down, Joe. <laughs> so, if you would like to ask us a question from the Legion, donate to the show. And you too can slide to my DMs in uh, the, uh, what do you want to call it? Discord, uh, Patreon, and ask That's us a question from the Legion. So this person asks, uh, during your time in the military, did you, did you ever get any scary slash spoopy stories? Liam, I know you are not in the military, but because you are from Pennsylvania, I will count that. Go birds. 
no birds. So uh, do you yeah, have any dude, haunted yeah, story? Dude, yeah, all right, a little bit. Uh, so a little bit outside York, there's this town called Hellum, and there's a, an urban legend called like the Seven Gates of Hell, where you're you, if you pass through these like old gates, they're old factory gates, but if you pass through all seven, like you know, on a full moon or something, like blah blah blah, basically like a Bloody Mary type of thing. Okay, but. I was with some friends. I was like in high school and, and like, I don't believe in ghosts or anything, you know, this out of third, like they're, they're cops have gotten a lot more aggressive about like people trespassing down there. It's like, it's not safe, whatever. Uh, but I was, I was there. It was like 1245 in the morning. And I remember there were like the sound of voices and this bright red light. Like, a, like a, if you had covered a flashlight sort of in that, like, cellophane. Yeah. Uh, bright red light. And then the voices stopped, but the light didn't. And, like, we hid. Like, we, we flipped the car in reverse. And when we, uh, we, like, got back up to the main road, there was still, like, a very bright red light. And, like, clearly people had, like, followed us. But, like, didn't say anything to us. Didn't say, like, hey, get the fuck out. Like were just like following us very closely and oh mm-mm, mm-mm, man that i did not like that yeah i actually i have a fucking similar story um cannot remember uh where the town is in michigan i want to say clarkston warren something like that mm. not detroit um Oh, and because I'm going a little off the question i don't have any spoopy stories from the military so i i have to go to my civilian life as well uh there is a place called Crooks Road. I remember what the, ro- the road is called. And it was that designated road that every teenage group is like, no, man, it's totally haunted. You have to go yeah, there yeah. at night. And uh, it, normally we would just get really high or drunk. And I think I was like, I want to say between the ages of 13 and 15, um, you know, being real classy, being high and drunk. <laughs> um, oh, boy. And then you'd have a friend that would drive. So they'd be the least higher drunk amongst yes, you. Yes, yes. No, I, I too was a teenager in a small town. I, well, <laughs> man, if you're listening, I was the least higher drunk friend. And a guy. And you know, we would drive down Crooks Road. And it, there was, you know, the, the various stories, depending on who was telling it. Like, it was the site of a mental institution or there was a crazed, sure. incestuous family that lived out in the woods. Like, the hills have eyes I, or whatever. Um, and I mean, what is probably true is there probably was some people that lived out in the woods and didn't want people fucking didn't messing want to be with, fucked with Yeah, yeah. Or it was older people who knew that we would be out there and were also you know fucking with us. But um, one time on our drive back, we did get chased by a pickup truck um, out of the woods, uh, like because it, it was a it was a dirt road. It's like a hard packed dirt road, and it was very very skinny. So it's kind of a bitch to turn around on, right? And, uh, you know, we would drive down it, be drunk and high or whatever, and then turn around, drive back. And as we were driving back and like, this is a dead end road or it goes to nowhere. Uh, Someone in the area is probably the same fucking this all up. I don't remember. Again, I was high and drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But like a a truck tore out of the darkness and like chased us out of there. And the fucking uh, poor bastard that was driving driving our car. Oh, got us out of there as fast as that shitty old like Caprice classic would take yeah. us. <laughs> uh, and I never went back. Um, and I'm not. I'm not someone that like. I'm not religious. I don't believe in ghosts or whatever. But that like just hit the my my brain the the right way that yeah, I, no, I, I feel I never that. want to I, fuck with that again. I feel you absolutely. 
there was a place um, in Kentucky when I was stationed there, I was stationed at Fort Knox. Um, there was a sanitarium, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. that was well known for being creepy. They did a whole bunch of um, like specials and documentaries and stuff on it. And I never, I wanted to go and fuck with it. But the one, like, I got scared away not from like ghosts because, like, no, you'll get arrested and get a trespassing ticket. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so I never went there. And I, then they ended up bulldozing it. So, you know, it's over. But that is our show. Liam, hey. thank you for joining us. Plug your podcast. Uh, well, there's your problem. It's a leftist engineering disasters podcast with slides. Go listen to it. Uh, also, buy my book, The Prisoner's Dilemma. It's free on buy Kindle book, Unlimited. The almost <laughs> <laughs> it's free and kindle unlimited and if you don't have kindle unlimited it is a dollar uh so like also you know there's paperback and stuff it's just more expensive i know most people use ebooks these days uh but thank you everybody uh thank you for joining us again on this two-part journey and until next time do not crown yourself emperor of the central african republic no or at the very least uh understand how to maintain your friendships yeah you know what friendship is a two-way street friendship go reevaluate your friendships you have Muammar Gaddafi. Yeah, because he may deliver you to the French.